Well, today we are kicking off our Christmas series called Light in the Darkness. Now, you might look at that and say, man, that doesn't sound very cheerful, you know? Uh, But, um, you know, when we enter this Christmas season, isn't it kind of crazy how much our world is growing darker? Have you sensed that at all? Um, Isn't it crazy, like, how many more people are just, like, divisive more than ever before? Uh, There are people who are struggling uh, at personal levels like we've never seen as well. Uh, There are people who are uh, just having these awful dark agendas, okay? And uh, then there are people who are just trying to like uh, solve things through violence, uh, trying to solve conflict by just playing out being violent. And uh, it's been awful. And then, um, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, unfortunately, have seen people who have just like turned away from God and his guidance. Um, But despite uh, all the darkness that has been kind of growing, and I'm sure you've been sensing that and going, man, it just feels like it's getting darker around here. Um, God is not retreating. God is not quitting. And um, he's always been working in history. He's always been working in people's lives. And uh, 3,000 years ago, he made a promise to send the light into the darkness. Uh, he promised to send his son who would shine in the darkness. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to be examining uh, and discovering in this series. Now, when you think about the Christmas story, uh, whether you believe in God or not, uh, there's a lot of us who kind of overlook just how dark it was during those events. And uh, the reason that we often overlook the darkness that's in the story is because it's just a story, right? Like everything just works out. Like it's too perfect to be true. And if we get real honest, like does this story really like address the darkness that's going on in our world or the darkness that we're facing in our personal lives. And, um, you know, we're all familiar kind of with like the blissful side of Christmas, but yet the story is rooted in actual events that were surrounded by darkness. Oh, it's dark, okay? And so even if you say, well, you know, okay, I'll believe the events. I'll believe that there was darkness surrounded. The real question is though, can God really reach into our world? Can God really reach into my personal life and help me of where I'm at? And so today uh, we're going to not like start out with what we're used to, like Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. We're actually going to turn the page. And for most of this series, we're actually gonna camp out 3000 years ago where this promise from God, this prophecy of him saying light into the darkness began uh, in the day of Isaiah, the prophet. And so um, if this event did not happen, then the birth of Jesus would not happen seven years, 700 years later uh, from that point of 3,000 years ago. And so today we're going to see how not only did that speak volumes back then, into a similar uh, situation where there was darkness, but we're going to see how God speaks volumes uh, in our lives through this as well. And so today, would you turn to Isaiah chapter seven, verse two, uh, that's found in your Old Testament part of your Bibles or your smartphone devices. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible, like look to your neighbor and say, tis the season, you know, and see if you get an early Christmas gift, especially if you like their latest and greatest iPhone or whatever your cup of tea is. Uh, but if they refuse you, you can always have a Bible from the back as our gift to you. And then also I want to encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app to your phones. It is an amazing tool 
You can read scripture. It will play scripture out loud to you while you're on your commute, uh, help you to understand scripture. Just amazing. It's free. Uh, it's awesome. And so I'm going to give you a moment to go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. There we go. Thank you. We found that together. <clears throat> Thank you, Siri. So, <clears throat> all right. So, hey, I'm going to give you kind of a lengthy background because uh, for, like I said, this is like a series. So this today is like, man, did we really uh, fully unpack it? So we're going to have like part two next week, okay? But we're going to camp out, like I said, 3,000 years ago. So I'm going to give you some lengthy background information that you're going to find very interesting, okay? So we're dropping into a time period of 1003 BC in history, okay? And David becomes the king of the nation of Israel. And so that's Israel back in his day. You see the dotted lines and everything. You see Solomon, which eventually would pass on to him. And so David lays the groundwork for the nation uh, to follow God, to like take root and wholeheartedly charge after uh, God and become something great, okay? And then in 970 BC, Solomon, his son, uh, becomes the king and he really puts Israel on the map. And so he expands the kingdom to the north and everything and it gets really organized and, and everything. And you've probably heard of him, you know, when people say Solomon the... Yeah, there you go. Awesome. So you've heard of him. He's a real guy, a real dude. Okay. And so not only is he super wise, uh, but at the beginning, he really follows God. And under his leadership, um, the nations start to take notice of Israel. And they start to like want to learn from him, learn from their country. They want to do business in a good way with Israel. And so good times. But then in 930 BC, uh, King Solomon dies and things begin to go south. And so there are power struggles, uh, there are greed issues, and some are like, let's follow God. And others are like, we got this. And the nation of Israel divides into two, okay? Divides into Israel and into Judah. I know that's confusing and that's what happens in their history. And so um, the nation that continues to refer to itself in the north is Israel now. And they have like kings who often like do not follow God. They, they're like, we got this. And they're evil. I mean, evil kings. You look into there and they're like, that is evil. Then there's the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And they were like, hey, two good kings and then one bad king. And they would alternate two good kings, one bad king. Okay. So at times God would send prophets or spokespeople to the kings, to these countries and say, hey, what you're doing, you need to get back on track with God. So where we're picking up, and this is so important, we're picking up in 734 BC with King Ahaz in Judah, okay? And it's been like 270 years since like David and things were like going super well. Uh, the nation had been like striving and awesome, but now it is like decaying and it is getting dark and hopeless, okay? There's so much division and strife. No one can agree upon anything with each other. And also what's happening at the time is the nation of Assyria is starting to gain power and they want to conquer people. And so Israel and the country north of them, Aram, that used to be under Solomon's control, they start to go, hey, we're afraid of Assyria. 
and we need to do something about it. And so they want Judah to join them. But King Ahaz out in Judah is like, no way, I am not joining you guys. And so they say, well, we're gonna attack you, convince you, take over your people, take over your military, and that way we can you know, fortify ourselves. Well, they go down there in this first battle and it doesn't work, it falls flat, okay? So King Ahaz of Judah, he's like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm gonna start making my own plans. This isn't gonna happen again because Israel and Aram, they're not gonna give up. And so I need to do something about it. And this is when God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz in Judah because King Ahaz is about to take the nation and take himself into greater darkness. And so here's a warning. Uh, that's where we're gonna be picking up. So let's begin starting in verse two. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria, or Aram, is allied with Israel against us. So this is for the second time, okay? Here it comes, they're gonna attack again. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, and if you're looking for a baby name, and I probably can bet you this has not been used this year, okay? Shear Jashub, okay, great name, love it, all right? Take your son and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. So now let's pause here, okay? and understand more about King Ahaz, all right? So that was like no big deal for Isaiah to go out and talk to the king. But King Ahaz is one bad rebel, okay? Now I'm curious, by a raise of hands, how many rebels do we have in the audience, okay? All right, you're not a rebel, don't, <laughs> if you're raising your hand, you're not a rebel. You know why I know that? If you're a rebel, as soon as I said that, you just like fold your arms, which some of you did, and you started to get that smirk. You know what I'm talking about. If you're married to a rebel, you know that smirk kind of smile that they get, right? If you're dating a rebel, you know exactly what I'm talking about because for some reason you find that so attractive when they do that. And so, you know, Here's the rebels who are like, yeah. And some of you are going, don't talk about the rebels in church. They're loving it. Don't worry about them, okay? Like they love being talked about because they got it going on, okay? They're doing their own thing. We're rebels, okay? So that's King Ahaz, all right? He is a rebel at heart. You'd love him, okay? So here's more about him, all right? He's beyond like a rebel, okay? His dad and his grandfather were the kings of Judah before him, and they actually followed God. We don't know why Ahaz became this rebel and even took it way beyond being a rebel, okay? Here's some of the things he started doing. He started instituting rules and regulations to set up all these altars and all of these places of worship for foreign gods, and it's like, where are you taking us? In fact, he got the politicians of the day and also the religious leaders to follow him in instituting these things. And in one moment when Assyria, or I'm sorry, not when Assyria, but when Israel and Aram were going to attack, he led the people publicly in worship of these other gods to kind of say, hey, we're like on the same page. Don't come down here and attack us. Like we're gonna appease you. We're on the same page. And so publicly worships these other gods in front of the nation of Judah. And so it was talked about, like it was trending, okay? And so then all of a sudden <clears throat> it gets even worse, okay? So on that attack, that first battle, the king always went out to fight. That was 
the history of nations. He refused to go out and he sent his oldest son, the next in line, to go and fight for him, knowing that he would die. And sure enough, his son died. But then he also did this. We know that he at least sacrificed one child of his, if not more, to appease the other gods. Like, who does that? Who does that? And so imagine if you're like the people of Judah and you see your king worshiping, you see him sacrificing his own children to death. You know he's supposed to be out on the battlefield. And so in 20 years, you've seen your nation go from something great and following God and now being torn over politics, over religion, over indifferences, over strife, over darkness. And it is getting darker and darker to the point where we're sacrificing children. Children. And it was acceptable. No one stood up. And so imagine being Isaiah, this prophet, who's already confronted this guy several times. This is not the first time. And this king continues to refuse to turn to God. And he refuses to cry out to God for help. And so that's King Ahaz. But let's see how God continues to reach out to King Ahaz. And this is such a pivotal, pivotal moment in history. Don't miss this, okay? It involves all of us. Verse four, God says to Isaiah, tell him to stop worrying, King Ahaz. Now, isn't that interesting that King Ahaz is still a frightened man regardless of all his rebellious ways? Isn't that what rebels are? Aren't they fearful? And isn't it amazing that despite all of King Ahaz's like evil actions, that God would come and address the king's heart? Because I'm sure his appearance to everybody else was confidence, but inwardly he was not confident. Tell him, King Ahaz, he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Rumalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabeel as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place place. And he says this to King Ahaz, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. In essence saying, basically, you will always be fearful unless you take a stand with me. So Isaiah's probably thinking like, God, are you serious? Like how much more are you going to continue to pursue this guy? I mean, this guy is evil. I mean, who puts their children to death? Who sacrifices them? Do you know how many times, God, you've given this guy a chance and he does not call out to you? And so God would simply say, yeah, I know. But I am the light in the darkness. I never give up on pursuing those who are in the darkness. No one is beyond my reach. 
and I will always pursue them. I will always reach out to them. So you let King Ahaz know that I know he's in trouble. You let him know that I know he is fearful of those kings to the north, but I've got this. I know their plans. Judah will not be defeated. And you let King Ahaz know that all he has to do is turn to me and cry out for help. Now, isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that amazing that God would like come to this guy who repeatedly turned his back on God? And in this critical moment, this defining moment for King Ahaz, where he needs something the most, reaches out to him. Do you know what God will do for you? Some of you are in a desperate situation. Some of you don't see any way out. God will help you. The God of the universe wants to help you. And we're gonna see God's pursuit of King Ahaz, and he's pursuing you as well. Let's continue. But unfortunately, you know, King Ahaz, he didn't believe Isaiah in this first round. I mean, this was probably maybe third or fourth round, uh, but he didn't believe him again. So God sends another message to King Ahaz via Isaiah. Here's the next one. Pick you up in verse 10. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. So now we get like this full picture of how much Ahaz has dug in. I don't know of anyone else that God has ever asked to say, make a request of a sign so that you will trust me and I will do it. That is amazing. Now, even though the king was like at the end of his rope, he refused. He refused to turn to him. He refused to cry out for help. He said, listen to what it, the king says in reply to that. Verse 12, but the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, at first glance, you know, the king's response, you know, it doesn't sound bad, right? You know, it sounds like, hey, who tests God? You know, no one does that. We shouldn't do that. Isn't he wise for not testing God? You know, but here's what we learned from historical documents of what was going on in the background, okay? King Ahaz at that time was making secret plans and alliance with the Assyrians to the north to protect himself from Israel and Aram. He was saying basically, God, I got this. I don't need your help. I've got things under control. That's what he was saying. Now we get this, you know, how many times do we say, I got this. I don't need you, God. I know at one point in my life, um, in a very dark spot, um, there were two things that happened to me that I was not expecting and kind of took my feet out from under me. And uh, in that moment, I got into a really bad spot, a really bad spot. And I actually started like blaming God for allowing these two things to happen in my life. And I was getting so down that I just thought, you know what, <clears throat> you know, I'm not calling out to you, God. And as I did that, um, I got to a spot where I just thought, you know, maybe it would be better, like nobody would miss me in this world, you know? Um, God, it, it, I mean, who cares? Like, really, you don't even care. And I started to really get into a dark space that I needed God to show up. 
I was making plans. I was making plans. And I needed him. I needed him in my dark moment. Now, I know some of you are in dark moments. I mean, we're not alone, okay? And I don't know where you're at, like in this season. I don't know what you're up against. But you know it's in your world and it's real. And some of you, you know God has like been knocking on the door, but you're not answering. And I just want you to ponder. I just want you to ponder as we continue in this message that, you know what? I, God, I just need you. I need you to speak to me and I need you to see that I do care. And I wanna see how you pursue me. And so just, just say that, okay? Just say that in your minds to him and let's just continue on uh, in this message, okay? <clears throat> so... Let's pick back up and see how God responds to King Ahaz. Very different, okay? And we don't want to miss this because God never stops his pursuit of us, okay? And here's the prediction, the promise, the, the, the promise that God makes uh, in history, okay? And it has two major implications, one for that day and then one that speaks volumes to us as well. It's kind of double-folded, okay? So verse 13, then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David, speaking not only to King Ahaz, but to everyone, okay, including us. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. And here's something that sounds familiar. Um, and let's read this together. It's right over here in verse 14, starting with look. Let's read this together. One, two, three. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You've heard that. I'm sure you have. That's where this comes from 3,000 years ago. Now, there's the first major implication from these words that I want to camp out on, okay? Basically, God is saying, hey, in this prophecy, King Ahaz, you know, I'm going to rescue you from those two kings from the north, but I'm also going to give you a sign. And every time you see this sign, it will remind you of exactly who I am and what I did. And so when God gave prophecies, often there was immediate fulfillment, and then often there was a greater fulfillment later on as well. And most scholars think that there was probably a woman in his day who was a virgin, who got married, who had a child conceived, you know, and within those two years of these words being spoken was born and she gave him, well, two years prior to that, uh, gave him the name Emmanuel. Now, some think that it's Isaiah because there's record that his first wife died and he got married again and had a son about two years later, or not two years later, but, you know, uh, you'll see here in a second what I mean by two years but that would remind the king. So regardless of who it was, most likely there was a woman running in the same circles with King Ahaz and every time he saw her and saw her child, Emmanuel, it was a reminder that God uh, was going to protect Judah and that those two kings of the north would not do harm even though King Ahaz had rejected turning to God for help. So let's continue, and this will make sense. Verse 15, by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and to reject 
what is wrong, which is about two years, when children know, start to begin to know right and wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. And so now you think like after all these messages from God that King Ahaz would say, all right, you know, Lord, I will cry out to you for help. But unfortunately, King Ahaz does not do that, okay? And sure enough, what happens, okay? Two years later, as this child is starting to know probably right and wrong, the two kings of the north um, were no longer a threat. God had protected Judah. But behind the scenes, King Ahaz had cried out to the Assyrians instead of crying out to God. And eventually the Assyrians turn on him and they put Judah in bondage and into greater darkness. Now you think the story is like over, but it's not over. It's never over with God. When he makes a promise, he always comes through, okay? So here's the second major implication, and it has so much for us, okay? When Isaiah said, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That is just one of 300 prophecies given from King David's time just about, maybe a little bit earlier than that, to Isaiah. A vast majority of were given in that time period in recorded history and so that we would know exactly who God is when he comes as Messiah. Now, fast forward, okay, to Jesus. And we've got Matthew, one of the disciples, hanging out with Jesus, okay, very close to him. And he's a tax collector. Now, if you ever read Matthew's, like, version of Jesus's life, what he recorded and everything, it sounds like a tax uh, collector wrote it, okay? All right, I mean, it's like, do you know how many tax collectors, like, take detailed records? I mean, when you read it, it reads like a tax collector wrote it, okay? And he kept track of these prophecies. He's like, okay, I'm going to keep track of a lot of these, and especially the major ones, and here's the number one. And, oh, all right, so he records in Matthew 123, right up front in his gospel, Okay, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So it's like Matthew is saying, hey, here's prophecy number one from 700 years ago. Mary, let me interview you. Oh, you were a virgin? Oh, what? That's crazy, but check mark, you know, Jesus fulfilled that. Hey, here's prophecy number two and check mark, Jesus fulfilled that. I saw it with my very own eyes. Here's prophecy number three, I saw it. And you bet if there was an error, the accountant was on it, okay? If Jesus did not fulfill every major prophecy, Matthew would have been out. Interesting that he chose a tax collector. Interesting that he's wrote those things down. For us. Because here's what he saw. More than that. More than that. As he saw Jesus interact with people and they were hurting in that day, there was a great darkness. There was the oppression of the Roman Empire upon those people. They were looking for the Messiah. He saw people who were hurting so much. He saw those people cry out to Jesus and he saw miraculous things happen. 
to thousands of people when they called out to Jesus, Jesus freed them from their bondage. So many lives were changed. His life was changed. The reason Matthew wrote these things down for us is because he wants us to know exactly what it means for God to be with us because he saw it with his very own eyes. And he wants us to know this. He wants us to know that God pursues us in the darkness and will help us when we call out to him. Let me say that God, uh, again, God pursues us in the darkness and will help us when we call out to him. That's what Matthew saw. That's what happened to Matthew's life when he called out. Now, you see, from King Ahaz, we learn that God is always pursuing us no matter how much we are in the dark. Unfortunately, King Ahaz did not turn to God. He would not cry out to him. And although Jesus is the light of the world, he is not our light. He is not our help. He is not our hope until we cry out to him. And when we cry out to him, he is our light. He is our help. He is our hope. And I love it when I've called out to him, when I was in my dark moment and I cried out to him finally, I found this to be true. King David found this to be true of God. And I love how King David writes this in Psalm 34, four through six. He says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. Now don't answer this out loud, but where are you at? You know, I asked that earlier. Are you in a place where you need to be saved from your troubles? Are you in a place where you're just in such bondage over something or in a place where you just feel like you're so trapped and you're in such a dark spot that if you don't feel like if you cry out, anyone will listen? Are you like facing something um, that's so hard, like maybe a prolonged illness or maybe financial difficulties or maybe a relationship issue, or battling anxiety and depression, and you feel so trapped, maybe by your past, that you just can't get out. Realize that God sees you. Realize that God is pursuing you. You're not here by coincidence, and he will help you when you call out to him. And so we're gonna end in a real simple way today. We're gonna close in prayer today. And it's time. It's time as I pray for you to cry out to God. That's what we've gotta do. Don't be a rebel. Cry out to him, okay? And so what does that look like? Well, as we pray, maybe you need to say, God, I'm facing this illness. I've been to every single doctor. I don't know what to do. And I've been trying to do this on my own. And today I'm turning to you. 
I need your help. God, I'm facing these financial difficulties and I'm trying to make the math work and it's not working. And I am really good with math and I've been like putting money here and there and and it's run out and it's not working. I need your help. God, I've been trying to deal with this relationship and I know I'm not supposed to be in it, but Father, this time I'll listen to you. What do you want? God, I feel so trapped. I am so much in me. And I know you know it's real. God, I need you to free me. And I don't know how to do that. Would you provide somebody to talk to me? Help me. God, would you help me in this moment? And here's what will happen. When you get raw in your emotion and cry out to him, you will find that he cares, that he loves you, and that he will provide a way out. It may not be immediate, just like these prophecies, but he is with you. When you turn to him for help, you will find that he is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Hundreds and hundreds of people, millions, billions have experienced it throughout history. But you gotta cry out. You gotta cry out and it's worth it. That's the gift he wants to give to you today. And so would you cry out? So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for my friends. God, I thank you for what you are doing in our lives. Lord, as we enter into this season, we know for the last couple of years, man, it feels like it's dark. It feels like it's growing even darker. We would have never expected this in our lifetime. There are so many issues. It feels like there's so many new issues that are real that are in our face, that we're experiencing ourselves on the inside. And they're real. I get it. I've been there in multiple ways. And so, Father, I know that you are with us. And so today, there's someone right now in this audience that needs your help. And so we're going to carve out some time right now I know it's going to be awkward, but would they just pray to you in their minds? I'm going to pause and be silent. And would they say something like this to you? God, I believe you're pursuing me. God, I need your help. Here's what I'm facing. I don't have this, but you do. And so as the Lord impresses on your heart and brings to mind what it is, just cry out to him. It's okay. It's all right. So you do that right now. Jesus, thank you for stepping into the darkness. Thank you for showing us you're the light of the world. As it grows darker, you grow lighter. We need you. 
we need you to save us. Would you show up in our worlds? Would you show up in everyone's life right here? Would they trust you today? And would you just reverberate throughout this season that you've got them? May not be clear, but God, you've got them. Give them peace as they trust you and unfold how you want to address that place of darkness in their lives. So we give you praise. And as we sing this song, we're going to acknowledge how great you are. Thank you for personally speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.